Okay, welcome everybody to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and uh, just a note to the listeners, if you hear a tap, tap, tapping, the bunker's pretty tight, but there's a woodpecker making the rounds in the neighborhood, and it's quite loud. So, if you hear a random tapping, it's not my teeth chattering, it's... It's a bird. <laughs> Woodpecker, the critical flaw in the design of the bunker. Yeah, it might <laughs> hack its way right through. So. It's You're yelling, it's okay, don't be alarmed. Sealed against COVID, nuclear war, <laughs> radical right-wing ideas, but not, woodwe- yeah. but not woodpeckers. But not woodpeckers, no. Oh, well. Nature always wins. Nature, yeah, yeah, nature will find a way. Even in the bunker. <laughs> Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, though, we are just going to talk about some news, including Ontario Place, the old Toronto waterfront amenity is the latest provincial government fight after Doug Ford announced that they're moving the Ontario Science Centre there. Is there literally anyone that thinks this is a good idea? Then Pierre Polivare called upon Elon Musk to mislabel the CBC as government-funded media, and Musk abided. So why does Polivare want to score points with the man who's quickly becoming one of the most hated on the internet? And finally, Dominion Voting Systems have settled their billion-dollar lawsuit against Fox News, who admits in legal findings that their people lied about the results of the election. But will the Fox News viewers themselves ever know it? First, though, we are going to start in Toronto. You may have heard there's a mayor's race happening there right now. Uh, I haven't looked since uh, the close of business, but when I counted early, earlier this afternoon uh, on Wednesday here, there were 49 candidates. Um, some you probably recognize because they're more or less the front runners. People like Josh Matlow, who is currently a Toronto City Councilor. People like Anna Bilo, who is... Um, a, a former city councilor, former deputy mayor, considered pretty tight with uh, outgoing or gone mayor John Tory. Uh, Brad, the oddly named Brad Bradford, uh, who is <laughs> who is uh, also a Toronto city councilor right now. Olivia Chow, who used to be a Toronto city councilor and uh, was formerly an MP from Toronto um, in the House of Commons. Uh, I'm not going to go down the whole list, obviously, but there is uh, Chloe Brown, who is a planning analyst. Uh, Celia Cesar Chavanez, who is a former liberal MPP. Uh, Sarah Kleiman Haga, who is a, straight, a safe streets activist. Frank D'Angelo, who you may know from <laughs> D'Angelo Pasta or some truly awful <laughs> movies that he's self funds. Um Anthony Fury, who is a former Toronto Sun columnist. Uh, Xiao Hu Gong, who uh, is the alleged operator of a pyramid scheme in China. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Peter Handis, who finished has the distinction of finishing in last place. I think he was 31 out of 31 in the 22 Toronto mayoral election. Mitzi Hunter, who is a current MP. MPP uh, in Queens Park. Uh, you have um, Munwar Hussein, who ran in the last six mayoral elections. So mm-hmm. he's um, oddly enough, I was going to say he's kind of the John Termel of this race, but oddly enough, no John <laughs> Termel. 
Giorgio Mammolini is uh, another uh, recognizable name. Uh, Chris Chris Sacosia, who people may better know as Chris Sky, um, the famous conspiracy theorist, anti-faxer, anti-Semite. Um, not to be confused with Edwin Snydson, who is a, from the New Blue Party. He ran in the New Blue in last year's Ontario election. There's Mir Strauss, who is a former Rhinoceros Party candidate. Uh, Weizen Tang, who is also a convicted fraudster. Um, and last but certainly not least, Mark Saunders, the former police chief. I wanted to say those two things together. but uh, So quite the murderers rode down in Toronto, <laughs> so to speak. Did you get Mitzi Hunter in there as well? I yes. did get Mitzi Hunter. Okay, yeah. okay. It's, it's just such an extensive list, and that's not even the complete list. But That's not the complete list. Those are like the names you might know. That's the highs and lows. So, of course, the worst kept secret was uh, Olivia Chow, who entered the race on Monday. Mm-hmm. And she finished, was it, it was third, right? Behind in the main uh, street? Rob Ford and John Tory. Yes. Oh, what in 2014, that? yeah. In 2014, right. So... It was a distant third, too, I, I guess. And so, uh, but this led to the move today of uh, Jill Penalosa, who finished second, a very, very distant second to John Tory <clears throat> last time around. Mm-hmm. Although he did have almost 100,000 votes. So mm. I sense that it's a bit of the, we'll call them the progressive forces trying to get it together. Although Jill Penalosa dropped out to support Chow. So this is the, consolidating maybe of the progressive vote I, there will definitely be a split between matt low and olivia chow i'm not mm-hmm. sure whether I, olivia chow is ndp royalty mm-hmm. and has an extensive track record but she has been off of the grid for a while mm-hmm. also out of toronto politics for about 20 years yeah I mean, and toronto still knows who she is a certain set of toronto she's unknown uh now as to whether enough or you know things have changed a bit since since her time mm-hmm. uh may harm that a l- reputation a little bit or won't carry as far because people there, there'll be a lot of, there's a lot of people in toronto that have no idea who she is what the story is and the fact that it's a, a effectively a by-election as well right so numbers are traditionally low for these things I did see some scrapping uh, on Twitter, which I think is where this most of this will be fought. <laughs> I guess they're going to have a debate with most, some of them, maybe. Brad Bradford, who's aligned with John Tory versus Mark Saunders, who is the ex-police chief, as mentioned, but also Doug Ford's man in the race, can't hide it. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about who's record on what on Law & Order. So they're doubling down hard on the law and order card, which is always popular, particularly for ex police chiefs. Um, so that was, that was today's little scrap that I saw. I'm sure there's been some others, mm-hmm. but there's that, t- I don't know. Should we call them a top 10? I'm, it's, <laughs> it's hard to draw a line as to where this is just cause it's all almost, as you said, 50 people um, give or take a few and Penalosa dropping out. I don't know. That'll make a huge difference, but um, definitely changed the calculus a little bit. Yeah, there's uh, there's kind of a four player game of chess going on here with um, Olivia Chow and Josh Matlow on one side, and Mark Saunders and uh, Anna Balo on the other side. Uh, the question is, I guess, who does? It? I guess wh- where's the greater chance for? 
um, consolation, you know, can sort of one, it's probably a bit easier on the right-hand side of things. Uh, it's been commented before Toronto politically is essentially a donut where you have the, the downtown in the middle that's predominantly left surrounded by the suburbs on all sides, which are predominantly not right wing, but you know, kind of center right, kind of old fashioned, uh, fiscally conservative, socially liberal peeps, um, and Fordland too. And Fordland, I mean, yeah, and we're, <laughs> we'll get there in a minute. Um, the the it's it's easier for people who are kind of more of the, on the right hand side to win because they don't have to work as hard to consolidate the citywide support. It is considerably harder for people on the left-hand side, which is kind of where Olivia Chow fell short in 2014 is because she managed, you know, like she secured the lefties, no problem. But there were a lot of people on the left who were just like, I just want to go back to normal and put their money on John Tory. Um, that was a unique situation where there was very clearly a, a right-hand side, left-hand side and middle side for people who didn't want to go who didn't want to take a side to find a, a middle solution. So it's a little trickier with this situation. Um, what's interesting in that Main Street poll is that um, Saunders gets the lead in terms of trust on like dealing with crime. But when it comes to issues like housing and like sort of like the meat and potatoes issues like traffic, it is by and large, Chow and Matlow, who get are gonna, kind of getting the benefit of the doubt um, in terms of trust of the people. So it's going to be interesting to see what issues-wise this kind of comes down to is, you know, it, it, I mean, there's understandably a lot of concern about crime. That's very big in the news, usually on the weekends. But, you know, when it comes to a matter of just like city administration or a lot of issues in, in Toronto, a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that's like outside of the direct control of city council. Like a lot of the, the transit projects like Eglinton Crosstown, the Ontario line, a lot of that stuff is not being done by Toronto. It's all being provincially driven. So, you know, there, there's an interesting question about where the, the, where the Toronto, the average Toronto voter is going to place the emphasis in terms of issues. Is, is it going to be like that safety issue? Um, or is it going to be the, just like the matter of city administration issue? We need a strong hand on the wheel, as, as, at least in so much of the part of the wheel that uh, Toronto is able to control. Yeah, and I was thinking about, I noticed on the list that there's a Sanders and a Saunders. I wonder if... if- <laughs> Mark Saunders lo- loses by you know marginal amount. Will he blame Lyle Sanders, who is running? Personally, know nothing about, and that's the, you know, such a good chunk of this list is people who have no idea mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. But it's um, yeah. So that's that's a, a minor point, I suppose. But yeah, I, I wonder. And Mamaliti coming back. My God. Yeah. God, just just stop. <laughs> you know, just, there just there are people in every election who used to be in government and are trying desperately to get back into it having got a taste of the private sector and fundamentally knowing that they can't function there it seems but (laughs) yeah must be doing something for money and frank d'angelo too sticking with the fringe is like i that is a name i hadn't heard in a while but (laughs) he's he's back and they were they were all like right out of the gate i think this is like oh i have to get in on this right yeah but um 
Yeah, so quite the list. And you know, that will be the question about the issues. I think it's going to sway toward the law and order will mm. be the, the talked about thing specifically because of, as mentioned, things going on with the TTC, not the riot itself, but the uh, assaults and just right. violence in general. It always, it's always, it's, it's an easy out, just plays well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now the elections in June, right? Is it end of June? End of June, yeah. When twenty six, I, I think. When is the cutoff for candidates? Do you know? Sorry to put you on the spot. It's just I couldn't find it today. I, I was like, what? Yeah, what I was this? thinking about that, but I couldn't find it either. Well, I, I was have to wonder I whether looking the, for it. <laughs> to be frank, <laughs> yeah, you have to wonder whether the dance is going to go on for another month. Because like, yeah, they've got to close it because at at some point because they got to print the actual ballots. And hopefully so, it'll be printed correctly on like <laughs> yeah. area where it's like ah. yeah that's that's a good point about that because um there is that that is going to court in Cambridge when they pause the um when they pause the the student this I think it was a Catholic school board vote that um yeah well they're gonna be spending <clears throat> was it something like 13 million? Mm-hmm. number i heard maybe even more just to make this by-election happen so that's a lot of that's a lot of coin really well i don't know when the date of the closing nominations is but I, I i do see here uh the voting information cards will go out on may the 14th yeah so. sorry i just found it may 12th so okay so that's that's going to be so a, it's not a busy week far away. The, yeah busy week at the clerk's office there yeah two three weeks yeah yeah, though, because there'll be that last minute. The people that wait till the one minute before closing and file the papers. Well, they're I always want in. I want in on this. Yeah, the, the race. Yeah, it's always busy around two p.m. on the closing nominations day. Uh, the the just to go, get back to the the candidates themselves. I do wonder if this will be a factor at all, and this may largely depend on sort of the media coverage too. Is um toronto's had one mayor since amalgamation that has like gone scandal free and i don't mean like scandal free like nothing happened that was scandalous but i mean in terms of like personal scandal like mill lastman brought a lot of stuff into the mayor's office john tory obviously we know what happened there rob ford obviously we know what happened there um david miller and of course what was david miller's distinction in that lineup he was the one like certified lefty so i do wonder if <laughs> if it's like within Matlow or like Chow's interest to say like, hey, you want stability in Toronto for the next, I guess, three years at this point, you you know, you want stability, like go with a lefty because we're going to be focused on the job and not on stuff outside of the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not saying it's yeah, going to be perfect. It, <laughs> as you mentioned, them, some some of them already come with scandal, like yeah, yeah, scandal ready. So Chris diminish the chances even further. Not that they have a chance. I mean, it's no. I suppose it's healthy to have so many people in the race, and yet it's at the same time. What uh, mm. a name that seems to be missing is Kevin Clark. I thought he was in. I think he's the de- he's like declared he hasn't filed the paperwork. Oh, okay. I think that's what I've gathered. Because like I, I've gotten the impression over the years that Kevin Clark may be a listener. So Kevin, if you're listening, we're waiting for you to join the race. <laughs> yeah. Get those There's a strong in. possibility that <laughs> this is the case because I he's been in touch in the past. So yeah, uh, yeah. and then I, I suppose there's that whole list of uh, people that decided not to run. Yeah, 
as long well, list. Right? Like long Cressy list. Cressy was one, right? And yeah. Yeah. Stan Chow from yeah, Jennifer Stan Chow. He's was supposed to be contender. Mike Layton, right? Mike Layton. Mike Layton was also another. I guess uh, maybe he and mom played or stepmom played. Oh, rock, that's paper, true. scissors. Yeah. And Kristen <laughs> Wong Tam, who was uh, who in, endorsed Olivia Chow. Mm-hmm. I think it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Was also on the list because she was a city councilor for a long time, mm-hmm. at least a decade. So. But, All right. Uh, well, we're going to stay in Toronto for another quick uh, segment here. Uh, on Tuesday, Doug Ford, uh, Premier Doug Ford, I should say, came out and announced that uh, they're moving the Ontario Science Centre to Ontario Place, part of uh, that project's redevelopment. Uh, a lot of people do not like the sound of this um, because uh, the, Ontario, uh, the current Ontario Science Centre is situated in Don Mills. Uh, and it's kind of sandwiched between two kind of disadvantaged uh, neighborhoods in the city, two like kind of low income areas. So obviously, if Science Center moves and it's replaced by housing, as a lot of people think it's going to, um, there, there, there brings an obvious smell of gentrification to one of the few kind of low income low income areas that are relatively in central Toronto. Um, they're not in the downtown core, of course, but it's not too terribly far off. Um and then the second part of this is kind of more, uh, I think Mike Schreiner calls it back of the napkin planning <laughs> in regards to, uh, you know, Ontario Place, which I believe we're on version 68.1.2 of Ontario Place now. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, that sounds totally accurate. No, it's <laughs> it's something like that. Although it, it's strange that... Uh, Anna Balao, I don't know if you heard that last, it was last week, mm-hmm. threw, threw it out there, yeah, threw the she, same idea out there. It's like, you know, we should, maybe we should move the science center down to the, so I don't know if she was just spitballing that. It almost sounded like it was, could have been placed there. Now it's mm. not, the moving of the science center is, it came out of nowhere, back of the napkin style, let's call it, I guess. But what Ford's argument was, well, you know, the science center will be gone, but then they'll have a beautiful subway stop that's labeled Science Center. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point of the Ontario line, when mm-hmm. they sold it, was mm-hmm. to connect Ontario Place to the Science Center. That mm-hmm. was the rationale. Let's connect these Ontario things together. That's and the Ontario and whether... the Ontario line. <laughs> What's that? I said, that's the Ontario and the Ontario line. Yeah. It's that's like, why... Why would you come up with this to just to throw it out unless it was the plan all along? Yeah. That would be my argument because now I have to say, I haven't been to the science center in a long time, but I loved it. I loved it. I also loved Ontario place. I was of the right age to benefit from the peak of both of these things, Mm -hmm. but the science center moving was, is the fresh news, but the Ontario place rollout with, consultation maybe as to what was going on or what what is what what it's going to happen mm-hmm. uh it just it seems they're just tr- they are the pl- okay the place needs work the place is trashed uh mm-hmm. ford said that about the science center i don't think that's as much the case the science center was a centennial project and we need to remember both of these things ontario place and the science center were progressive conservative yep. projects one was for um centennial Yep. Centennial year, which is science, and then uh, Ontario Place. Okay, keep going to mix them up. Ontario Place was inspired by Expo 67, which was also a centennial project. Yep. It's like a baby 
Expo 67. When I was yeah. a kid, I actually thought we, th- it was the same, one of the same. <laughs> because when I was a kid, they were still talking about Expo 67 as like the greatest thing that had ever happened. So, of course, uh, Ontario wanted that in miniature. But both of them existed, but specifically Ontario Place was for the promotion of Ontario. Right. It was an, it was essentially an ad. Uh, and, but all, you know, here, here is a place where innovation is strong and all of those things that they were pushing in the seventies about, you know, this is, um, but it peaked early Mm -hmm. and they had the record uh, attendance when it opened as with lots of things. And then it just progressively went down. They tried things over the years to, to revive it. I personally don't think that the spa is going to revive it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the rival. The best thing that they could do to revive it would be to make it a park in its entirety. Mm-hmm. You can tell I'm passionate about this because it was a place that I really enjoyed. And the beginning of the demolition was in the Harris years when they dropped the Molson amphitheater into the middle of it, yeah, which was like a meteor crater <laughs> that blew the dynamic of it. It was that became isolated. It, it you could see it happening. That section became isolated. Mm-hmm. Everybody that was just visiting Ontario Place had to work around this thing rather than it being incorporated. It also took out the children's that wild that would never be approved now children's village that was there. Right? <laughs> what if you remember that? Do you remember it, Adam? It's like yes, you do. Okay, so yes, it was Village of the Damned, but. Family okay, friendly, fairly badly there, <laughs> but that, that was just how we rolled in the late seventies. <laughs> if you thought a playground with metal equipment was oh. <laughs> was an offense to the the safety and dignity of children, yeah, no, um, there are a lot of things wrong with the current plans. Um, and, and to to your point about should it be a park? That's kind of how they're selling it because uh, Gil Meslin who's a, a Toronto planner. He doesn't work for the city of Toronto. He just is a planner that works in Toronto. He did this kind of analysis of these two like full page color ads that uh, what's the company's name that's doing the spa Thermi. Uh, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, they, they put out these two full page color ads that, in, that included like renderings of what this is going to, is going to look like. And he did like a full court analysis on Twitter and it was fascinating. It's just um, took the two portions where this is going to be built and on the one hand, it's like it's the public land and the point of view, it's like looking out over the water facing west and then on the other side of the island facing the sinosphere. And the, the point he was trying to make is like, this is Theory promoting two artistic renderings that do not show their plans uh, for this portion of Ontario Place at all, which is, of course, his private spa, which is not. And now they've added a water park. And I love this line from uh, Globe and Mail writer. He said, it's a caricature of how a suburban conservative thinks about public space. And what he means is like lots of parking, lots of, you know, ideas of like what you expect when you go to see a tourist attraction. So water parks, um, European style spas, Live Nation concert venue. But you go there, you park and then wander around this area and then you go back to your car and you go home. And it's like that's nothing to what I think a lot of people want this, which is like a common amenity, like that park idea you were mentioning. Um, why would you drive through downtown Toronto to the waterfront, then park and then go to a spa that 
doesn't make any sense. And it's the same thing with the science center too. Like you're going to have buses, school buses, instead of like going around Toronto, going across the city on the 401 down to Don Mills, you're going to have them driving through downtown Toronto and dropping kids off. It's, it's just, it's poor planning and really does feel like, I think Mike nailed it. It does feel like back of the napkin planning. And if it is like, I don't know which way the water flowed on this. If, you know, uh, it was the the provincial government leaking to Balo or Balo having a <laughs> spontaneous inspiration that made Doug Ford go, "Hey, I don't know." It it just it seems like nobody's really thought this through. And then you get this bizarro announcement, like, "Hey, we're moving the science center from its heritage building in Don Mills, and we're going to tear it down and build houses, and we're going to move it down here with half the space um, in the middle of all this other stuff going on." <laughs> None of it connected at all. Like, as if you're going to go to the science center, then go to the spa, and then go and catch a concert. Like, is that is that a kind of day people have? I hardly think no. so. <laughs> no, and of course, the the question is, who are the friends? Mm-hmm. To me, it always comes down to this. Proven that it'll be Thermi or whoever's involved with that are the friends of Ford and Company. And the same with whoever is sniffing around up at the science center who wants that patch. Because mm-hmm. it's actually scenic. And as you say, people have trouble getting their heads around that a building that's only 50 plus years old can be a heritage building. But it was like, it's the same as it would be like taking uh, Toronto City Hall. Mm-hmm. That kind of vintage, postmodern, somewhat brutalist, but yet it has character. Character, And it's probably, it's been in a ton of movies and shows, right? To, mm-hmm. to, used for that as well which is a secondary use for it mm-hmm. but they did a streeter on uh, a camera was watching whatever news tonight they did a streeter up in flemington up where the science center is mm-hmm. no one they couldn't find one person that thought it was a good idea to get rid of it no of course not on the because, i mean you know normally there's a bit of somebody be like oh i think it's a great idea there's no one in that neighborhood that thinks it's a good idea because it's not that much up there and it's it's just it's mostly as don mills it was built yeah. Uh, on that six, uh, 60s, 70s, just let's put put the apartment. We'll put the apartments in here because we need space. That was the, you know, the housing crisis then. Right. We need apartments. Let's put up apartments. Not condos yet at that point. Uh, <laughs> and that's and of course o- over time, it's kind of like St. Jamestown, which was you know sold as this as luxury then, but then in you know in 50 years, it's not luxury anymore. It's just an it's just a building, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is the endless the the, the fifty year arc. I I I don't know what the fight is going to be like to save the science center. I, it's already started in earnest. And it's only bits been less than twenty four hours since this was announced. But yeah, that's the weird thing about some of this too is that you know you have these big pronouncements about the Toronto waterfront and a major uh, attraction slash amenity in Toronto, and it's right in the middle of a Toronto mayoral election. And granted, you know these are provincial properties technically. But it's weird that you're making these big decisions for the city when there's currently nobody sitting in the proverbial captain's chair. It just feels icky to to a degree as well that they're that Doug Ford's making these big decisions for Toronto when there's currently no mayor of Toronto. Yeah, because it smacks a bit of just throwing the weight around. Well, we can do yeah. this because we have oversight of all municipal things. So right, suck it, Toronto. <laughs> Which should be Doug Ford's slogan instead of "Get it done." <laughs> I'm glad you contextualized that because I 
feel weird about throwing it to the break with Suck at <laughs> Toronto, but there we go. Uh, we're going to take that quick break and we're going to come right back with uh, some more news. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Shake them, remake them. So sang the schemer, the poet, the dreamer. So sang the many who gave it their name. What kind of dreams provoke us to wander? When is the dreaming too late for us all? No rhyme can reason the time or the season. So sang the trapper, the miner. Does that song sound familiar? It's because it was in the soundtrack of the first IMAX movie in the world that played for years at Ontario Place. The film was called North of Superior. Mm-hmm. That's actually a cover of the song by somebody called Grit Laskin. The album's A Few Simple Words, and the theme is the theme in the song is Ojibwe Country. A little bit dated on the, uh, let's call it the colonial front, but I gave it a pass. <laughs> but it was a popular style at the time. Like, it, was, it was a popular style at the time. Uh, Lightfoot, everybody mm-hmm. writing tunes like that about the uh, heroes of wood. And thousands, millions of people saw that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm sure you did too, Adam. Of course you did. Well, there, it seems like every 10 years, every 10, 15 years, they make a new documentary for IMAX about Lake Superior because I remember seeing one like <laughs> yeah. 10 or 15 years ago um, because it had this beautiful shot of panning over the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald while the Gordon Lightfoot song, but like it wasn't playing the song, it was playing like this, like, Hans Zimmer kind of cover of with oh it's yeah it was it was beautifully composed beautiful recognizable if you're of a certain demographic or if you just listen to oldies radio um <laughs> yeah we won't name names uh speaking of uh things that are getting old um Pierre Polivare uh you know him you love him he's the leader of the conservative party uh Elon Musk of uh, the owner of Twitter has been going on this kick where he's been labeling uh, things like NPR, the National Public Radio, and the BBC as government-funded media. Well, Pierre Polivier, I guess, seeing that, wanted to tag the CBC into the quote-unquote fun. And using cons- uh-huh. official <laughs> using official conservative letterhead to do it, said to Elon Musk, like, hey, can you put this tag on the CBC? And Elon Musk did, and when CBC objected, he changed it to 70% government-funded, and then because he's a juvenile twit, then later changed it to 69% government-funded, which Pierre Polivare approved. So we have teenagers who are among the richest men in the world and the prime minister in waiting, which is not great, but CBC ended up... uh, I guess they used the word pausing, pausing activity on their Twitter accounts. They didn't delete their accounts. They're just not tweeting at the moment. Uh, but all this is on top of just, you know, Pierre Polivare seemingly nonstop assault on the CBC, uh, threatening to cut its funding. And uh, and then on Wednesday, or was it Tuesday? Well, famously, he gets up in the House of Commons and uses CBC reporting to attack Justin Trudeau. So I I guess CBC was good. On Tuesday, went back to being bad on Wednesday. I don't know. Is this this is silly though, right? This is this is some of the. 
I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that is. Let's just say this is the kind of stuff that's not going to win Pierre Polivier an election. No, definitely not. And as was mentioned specifically uh, regarding Quebec, mm-hmm. Radio Canada, which is something that he never he'll never attack Radio Canada. Yeah, but English CBC, that's okay because I mean he hates them because he hates real media, and I mean real media because they won't just parrot his agenda. It's a completely Trumpist approach. Mm-hmm. And then gets his well now pal, I guess Monk 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 Musk in mm-hmm. on the game with a the bro joke that went global. It's just so this is just so ridiculous. Mm. But yeah, we need to discuss it because you know, CBC, a lot of their traffic will come from Twitter. That's just how it works now. A lot of everybody's traffic, our traffic. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, and more specifically yours comes from Twitter. Like mm-hmm. so it's a necessary <laughs> we call it necessary evil. <laughs> it is a tool. But I mean the the way that Musk's uh designation was allocated was weird. I did a little bit of uh, digging and then found out somebody had listed them all. BBC was included in this, but it was changed to publicly funded. Yeah. And it was, I guess it started last week with NPR and PBS, both bailing from Twitter because they're like, you know, we're, we're just, this is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other ones were just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. France 24 France 24 was is listed as publicly funded Al Jazeera government funded mm-hmm. so it seems to be if it's if you're a an outfit that Musk doesn't like yeah you get government funded but there's a bit more leeway uh Deutsche Welle the German news service publicly funded had nothing so there's, there's zero there mm-hmm. uh, Australian broadcasting government funded Russia today state affiliated um, <laughs> and you can draw the line there as to how much propaganda you think is coming from one or the other mm-hmm. but it was it was interesting to see this the cbc reporters and others including retired and fans of the cbc and springing to the defense saying you know when i was there there was issues but generally had uh, editorial independence and of course that's not to say that the cb we've talked about this before the CBC could use some work, yeah, in oh, yeah. Er- in in areas, yeah, in, in lots of areas. But you know, state broadcasting, uh, we'll call it that. I'll call it that. Uh, it is very necessary, especially in a country like Canada. We have such distances, and people in the north, you name it, certain groups need Canadian news and Canadian content. Right. And maybe that's not even the point, right? Because we know it's it's older than all of us, the CBC. It's been around for almost 100 years now mm-hmm. in some form or another. Yeah. So the the argument that they, they shouldn't really have to validate themselves, but it comes down to this because uh, Torp is trying to score political points with his billionaire bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, did it on conservative letterhead. This is unprecedented stuff. This is a billionaire from another country, effectively influencing our media, or at least how it's received and perceived, mm-hmm. with some with encouragement from inside the house. Like it's just this. I can't think of a, a similar incident, and even though it seems minor and trivial. It seems minor and trivial, but I mean, it's it's cherry picking too, and it's part of a broader trend. Because you know, what do you see in Alberta right now going into a provincial election? You have see Daniel Smith and the Conservative Party there saying, "Okay, everybody gets 
one question and no follow up. Yeah, and, and the election's and, not even on yet. Yeah. She's like, oh. it's an election. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not even on yet. <laughs> we're just practicing for the thing that's going to come where we're going to shut you down and let, you know, Keenan, what's his face, have all the time, right? Well, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that you have people who are like ranting and raving about the CBC and it being fake news. Then you have Keenan Bricks staging his own arrest. <laughs> where you never see his if there's actually handcuffs on behind his back um which you know it was very almost comically staged um when you when you see that video it's it's and then people also c- blaming rachel notley um for not taking questions from the western standard the western standard guy says to her like why are you answering our questions and she's like well you know it's pretty clear you publish homophobic material and then they're like well she won't answer our questions like well she just did um <laughs> why would you say i'm not a homophobe i'm a libertarian it's like, that's it yes that is more or less the exact <laughs> quote um, of the year like what <laughs> but uh, to get back to the pierre uh, polyvera and cbc and all that you know if you're going to be calling cbc publicly funded you're going to have to call post media publicly funded too because mm-hmm. one of the whole things with post media's current business plan is that they get that government cheese they post media has made it very clear they will die without government cheese they will have to cut 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 even more than they already do so you cannot call cbc government funded and and, and you know i suppose this can go to a certain extent to any journalistic outfit that's getting these you know journalism top ups uh but you know the journalist funding and local f- journalism funding initiatives or whatever they're called but I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous. Host media has said they can't operate unless they get government funding. And you've got to go and do CBC like that so you can, you know, score cheap points with the Canada Proud. And by the way, the, the Canada Proud constituency is limited. They, you know, they're kind of all over the place in terms of on, on the right hand side. But, you know, he, he's, got a lot of them in the tank those aren't the people he needs to win in an election it's everybody else he needs to start winning so you have to really wonder you know is he pierre polivar i mean just is he aware that he has to actually do some electioneering or is he just supremely confident that you know he can get into you know the pmo with i guess 34 35 percent of the vote he might be able to mathematically speaking but i mean that's not a that's not a, a a large coalition, and it's certainly not a coalition that he's that's going to be any more easier to manage than what we're seeing in this in the states right now in their House of Representatives. Does Pierre Paul ever realize he's government funded too? I don't know if he does. That's the other thing. This guy's <laughs> never had a job outside government, um, unless yeah. you count like consulting for the government. But not, yeah, uh, it's it's not nuts. to be trusted. Any anybody that just does that is not to be trusted and i don't care what party they belong to and and martin lucas made this point um you know which government did more cutting of the cbc than any, any other government liberals right Gretchen liberals yeah <laughs> they took the hacks out of that 96 <laughs> there's a you could see it on the graph it's on um it's on luke uh lucas um 
his newsletter, I forgot the word for it, even though I have one. Um, <laughs> it's on his newsletter. You can see that big dip. It's like CBC funding up here or Mahorny and Campbell. And then for a couple of years in Gretchen, and then dang, it, like it, it falls like halfway down the page when, and you know, the Gretchen Martin budget in like 96, 97. It's yeah. Um, the, the, the liberals are not as, as CBC friendly as perhaps you think. Um, and then there was this other thing that uh, Lukic stuck up that uh, this analysis of, of um, news coverage, I think it was in 2010, so it was when Harper was in charge, it showed that CBC was the most government-friendly and that the National put government people on more often than the similar sort of nationwide newscasts on Global and CTV. So... Just empirically, it, it doesn't make any sense. Not that anything about this is empirical at all, but just, you know, it's it's become a convenient punching bag. And just logically, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I suppose it's a testament to our times that all these logical arguments mean nothing to Pierre Polivare or anyone who's probably going to support him. No, and just going back to Musk for a second, I saw that he said that he thought that Twitter was worth half of what he paid for it. Now he's lost like, yeah, twenty billion dollars to what own liberals and do this kind of juvenile stuff. Like, yeah, twenty billion. Uh, what a waste! Like, just what an outright waste. Yeah, it, and strong, I'm, stable uh, genius, eh? Like, oh, and I, you know, he was saying that as a positive. Normally, if you sink like forty-four billion dollars into something and lose half of it, um, you wouldn't be claiming that as a victory. Uh, and just to remind everyone too, you know, for forty-four billion dollars, Elon Musk could have bought every team in the NHL and had enough money left over for a few MLB teams. And <laughs> still roll around in it like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and at least then he'd be guaranteeing a profit because people actually want to, you know, watch baseball and hockey games. Um, speaking of watching, a joke, yeah. <laughs> speaking of watching things, uh, Fox News, uh, there was going to be a big trial in Delaware starting this week, um, and they got through jury selection, and I guess it just got too real for Rupert Murdoch because um, after lunch he immediately settled the lawsuit. It was brought by Dominion Voting Systems who were villainized, frankly, by a lot of Fox News hosts and guests as uh, erroneously, of course, as uh, participating in the big lie, this idea that Donald Trump lost the election due to skullduggery on the part of Joe Biden, uh, Democrats, I guess, Hugo Chavez, uh, other nebulous players, Italian security forces, if I remember correctly, and Dominion Voting Systems, but they settled for seven hundred eighty-seven point five million, and a mealy mouth statement that said that where Fox News said that uh, there was some false reporting on the network, which you know doesn't I don't think really goes far enough. But a lot of people are disappointed. A lot of people thought this was going to end with, I guess, Rupert Murdoch literally being keel hauled in front of a scorching rabble. But um, seven hundred ninety-seven point five billion. I guess it's not a bad takeaway. <laughs> Makes you wonder how much they have lying around in net worth. Mm. Well, I, I, this is an insurance. I was going to say this is an insurance payout. It's a write-off. They can probably write it off on their taxes. It's the cost of doing business. And I'm, I, the, the trial would have been fun. 
Yeah. Like uh, I was sort of <laughs> looking forward to it. Now it's the, the air has gone out of it, but it's, it just, it shows you though in the, the where th- the direction where things have gone in, in the U S mm-hmm. but also how uh, seriously they take their, the first amendment rights, the freedoms of speech and the press you're protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. It's not unique. That, Criteria is unique to the to America is right in their constitution. Other countries observe it. We do to a degree, <clears throat> but the I guess the challenge in the in the states is to prove was it malicious. You can pretty much say whatever you like mm-hmm. under those regs under free press freedom. You can say whatever. If if they were saying that the, uh, the you know these problems of the election, if they said it in error or if it was an oversight of some kind. They'd have been a bit more forgiving, probably, or, or came out and said, "No, we're really sorry we said this." And weirdly, like there were, I guess it was coming out privately, mm. right? The, these the the dump of information that came out due to this trial, where they were behind the scenes, or like, um, and didn't Tucker Carlson have a sit down with Trump? He was saying like, oh, "Yeah, I'm last sick week, of Trump. I'm sick last of week. Trump." Yeah, Trump <laughs> came back in the house to put him in line. I think, right? He's like, "I'm sick of Trump. I can't wait till this is over." And I hate him passionately. Oh yeah. Is what he said in a text. <laughs> yeah, as I do, Tucker Carlson, among others. But that's he's <laughs> he's probably the worst of them, I think. But and you're but in America, you're allowed to be the worst of them. Mm-hmm. But if you're just saying falsehoods, if it's, I think the the distinction is it malicious? Is what you were saying um, malicious? And mm-hmm. in this in this case, it was, of course, we know because. You're selling for what seven eight seven point five million? That is that's impressive because that I'm sure Dominion's net worth probably isn't that. And right. is have I got to write? There's another lawsuit in the pipe right now with a similar. It's just like a yes. Let's call them like a local voting. Yes, yeah, Smartmatic is the company. Smartmatic, and they're asking. They're, Smartmatic's asking for two point seven million. <laughs> well, I don't. So they're asking for even more. High, but... Yeah. Um. I think where a lot of people were wanting on on this, uh, and Laura Coates, who's like a CNN legal analyst, said a very smart thing where she said, like, people forget that there was a plaintiff in this case, and and they wanted compensation for like lost business opportunities. And I think uh, when Dominion was last sold, it was for something in the neighborhood of eighty million. So, you know. They they want to <laughs> they want a settlement that is like worth several times over what they're worth, um, but I I think that's a key thing to keep in mind is that for for Dominion this was a business thing this wasn't about it getting Fox News thing I think the rest of us have made it about it getting Fox News thing having said that I wanted to see them get Fox News too <laughs> because it presents this really horrible picture of where we are. Um, and we saw that with Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani would hold these press events after the 2020 election where he'd go, I have all this evidence that everything was faked. I have a bunch of it in my car. Uh, I, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to get into court to show everybody. And then he would get into court and the judge would be like, uh, so, dude, where's this evidence? Uh, and, Ju- and Giuliani would be like, I don't uh, what, I, what did I say it was in my car? I think it was in Steve's car. Um Steve's not here today. He has COVID. Um, but <laughs> and it just it, it, there's this wall. There's this wall where even people like Tucker Carlson, Rudy Giuliani, Sean Hannity, all of them, there's this wall where if it comes 
they will lie a blue streak unless they're gonna unless they're there's a chance that they'll lose their money or they'll lose their liberty. And that's what the courtroom is. Um, this was a, about a trial where they were going to lose money. And uh, if they lied on the stand, there's a chance they might lose their liberty. So, of course, they're going to go into a courtroom and tell the truth. And there weren't, there weren't going to be any cameras in the courtroom or anything, too. But there was going to definitely be reporting. That courtroom was packed with reporters. Like, half of Delaware is now gone home because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there were so many reporters there. People wanted to see that honesty. If you put Tucker in a witness chair and ask him directly, did Donald Trump lose the election? He's got to tell the truth because he swore on the Bible under pain of penalty of perjury that he would tell the truth. And that's what people wanted. People wanted that vindication moment. They wanted to see it from Rupert. They wanted to see it from Hannity. They wanted to see it from Suzanne Scott, who's the CEO of of, of Fox, I mean, and this might happen, you're right, because of the Smartmatic suit, but I, I, I think I think people wanted that sort of vindication moment. When they're up against the wall, when they're literally pinned in the corner, they will tell the truth because they don't want to lose their money and they don't want to lose their liberty. And those are the last two considerations in American right-wing politics because they'll lie about everything else. They don't want to lose their money. They don't want to lose their liberty. Yeah, and they've lost a chunk of money, but that's what I was saying off the top. Right, is like, is it how much money is still in in uh, in the bank if they can pay that out? Right, and I don't even know if they're going to appeal it. Well, it's a settlement, so they won't. It's just this is just how it's going to be. Well, yeah, that was the was... thing about if, if they if, if there was a decision, like yeah. theoretically, Dominion could be in court for years trying to get the money out of Fox. Like now, they know they're going to get a check. So, yeah, and there was an, an interesting quote from one of the editors saying that uh, at fox news saying that weak ratings make good journos do bad things right but i would argue that these aren't at least their editorial side aren't good journos to begin with they're not even journalists mm-hmm. it's tucker carlson he's not a journalist right this mm-hmm. is this is the, the the division of of labor that i have a problem with they're saying that guys like guys that are just the talking heads the glenn becks and you know you name it even up to alex jones they're not journalists Mm-hmm. In my world, anyway. mm-hmm. and but in lots of people's worlds, they are. So when they say, "Oh, it's a fraud," it's fake, and of course, and we know that Trump, all the, I mean, every chance he was getting too, right? To be like, the machines were fixed; they, they were changing the vote. You put it in, Still. and it became something else, which is you know parallel to this, but it's another, it's another issue. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go after him, uh, maybe, but I doubt it very much. Now that they've had this settlement, but something else that came out of this too that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. in reading what had all gone on behind the scenes. It seems that, and this sounds totally like election interference <laughs> that Murdoch was sharing unaired Biden ads with Trump. Yeah. That's so this would be things that weren't going on the air that were to be aired on Fox that, you know, the Democrats are paying for. He would show it to Trump and say, what do you think? I mean, that is that that's next level as well. Isn't it? That's like, yeah. what are you doing here? We know that you're not journalistically independent. If you're doing stuff like that, you just mm-hmm. aren't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the minor version is the Toronto Sun and all things Ford. Like, yeah, Brian Lilly that deeply <laughs> tied to each other. That there's Brian no Lilly story. scoops from inside yeah. his bedroom. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> You're right. That's a piece of this even I'd forgotten too. But I mean, it, it speaks to the larger issue, and it's still present at Fox News because they don't have to make any on-air admission. Tucker Carlson didn't have to go on TV tonight and go. Uh, just so everybody knows, we 
reported some liars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back in the end. You know, they didn't have a, to... Was that a condition of the settlement? Yeah. That it they was, didn't have yeah, to make yeah, any yeah. honor admission. Yeah, they yeah. only had to release the the statement saying that they uh, you know, made some false reporting, which makes it sound like an oopsie. But to get to your point, too, there are still people, and you see them in the media, who talk about Fox News like it's a competitor, like their colleagues. And yeah, there are people at Fox News who think they are doing the work of journalists and because they want to present stories and present them in a factual way. But those people have to ask themselves, if I'm a, if I, if I'm at working at Fox News and I think I'm doing the job of journalist as a journalist, um, why is it that everybody who is like the focus of merchandising and um, advertising and promotion of this? the non-journalists because the only thing that matters on that network is what happens between 5 p.m and midnight when the non-journalists are on tv nothing mm-hmm. else matters and the journalists the 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 people who think they're journalists um they are giving cover to the ones who are not journalists who are the entertainers and so yeah that i mean these are problems that are still going to persist at fox although we can enjoy the shot of right at the moment of them ha- of rupert murdoch having to write a nearly 800 million dollar check but like the the problems there aren't solved and it's you know so far as i know because I, I don't know any different but everything i've read it's business as usual at fox news right now so what's going on tucker carlson's coming after canada oh yeah he's got a documentary he's uh at me bro do it about canadian tyranny in 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 the trailer for which he unironically uses uh, a a speech of barack obama's so it's weird that trailer is all or something right (laughs) (laughs) i don't know the trailer is all over the place because we're enshrining barack obama as a tough leader tough on tyranny and then we're talking about canadian tyranny Hmm. like i encourage everyone to get on youtube and find that trailer it'll it'll blow your hair back um (laughs) save that for after the show because we're here um so thanks for listening and you can stay connected to us at our website opensourcesguelph.com you can find us on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph if you want to listen to this show again you can download it from our website every monday you can get it through the guelph podcast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz at Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. Zero percent funding of any kind. And <laughs> if you're joining us on the FM at our regular time, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. And that's one of the great programs that you'll hear here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another funding-free episode (laughs) of Open Sources. And we will see you then.